Hi, my name's Lydia and I'm a human of HR. Hi, my name's Simon and I'm a human of HR. Hi, I'm Emma and I'm a human of HR. My name's Jill and I'm a human of HR. Hi, my name is Michael and I'm a human of HR. Welcome to Humans of HR, a conversation about all things HR. We keep it real, raw and refreshing. We're not afraid to ask the questions or go where others won't go. We're real people having real conversations about real topics. You ready? Let's do this. Yes, let's do this. Welcome to another episode of Humans of HR. I'm David Gazzarotto, and it's uh, great to have you all on board again. Um, some great feedback on the episodes that we've uh, we've done to date, um, and really looking forward to another great conversation of HR uh, with some great humans who've joined me today. And uh, first of all, over in Christchurch, I have Jared Cameron. Hey, Dave. Hey, Michelle. How are we doing? Well, thanks, Jared. How are you? Yeah, good. And- Excellent. And of course, I have Michelle Farrah-Eagles with me. Welcome, Hello, Michelle. Hello, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Great to be here again. Excellent. Yes, so we, um, uh, Jared, I don't think you were able to get on the last one. We, we had a, a pretty uh, a pretty uh, deep conversation about uh, the RUAK Day, and it was um, certainly something that uh, I got a lot out of myself and big great feedback from, from people out there too in terms of us tackling some of the hard issues. So we are yet again going to tackle some hard issues today. Um, but before we do, um, I just wanted to say a call out to Daniel over in Adelaide, who I met last week, um, who uh, was a long-time listener and uh, and uh, made that known to me, and that was quite exciting. So uh, thanks, Daniel. And Many I hope celebrity you're... status. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling a bit that way. So that's good. Awesome. Hey, guys, um, today I thought we would tackle an existential kind of topic around HR, um, that of why the hell do we need HR at all? So <laughs> that one on the table. We've, we, we've had a crack at this sort of uh, topic, um, if if not on a podcast, yeah. but certainly at the bar, at the bar on occasion. I was going to say, it usually needs a glass of wine, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's not. That's not too late, is it? It, it must be. It's where are you, Jared? You're yard two hours ahead of us. After one o'clock here, so sun's out. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. All right, so so. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's have a crack at at um, you know having a bit of a discussion around uh, why, in fact, we do need HR. Um, and I guess you know to to kick us off, you know, we probably just have to frame up what do we mean by HR. And I, I guess there's a couple of things I want to explore around this. Um, uh, first of all, you know, I always say this kind of in jest, but um, HR is is apparently the second oldest profession <laughs> in the world. Really, yeah. what's the oldest? Accounting. Um, no, uh, it could be accounting, but apparently it's not it's accounting. A form, it's a form, prostitution. It's a form of trade, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think the second the second profession that came out with people to organise and unionise the workforce. Um, mm. So anyway, we can speculate about that for hours. But Jared, do you have any um, any gems about you know defining what we mean by HR? Gosh, I was looking this up the other day to try and you know refresh my memory of where it kind of comes from. I read that it started in the 1960s. That term couldn't believe that. Um, HR did. Yeah, the term human resources, oh. you know. I, I guess if you think about it fundamentally, right, um, it's talking about your, your biggest resource or your, your most important resource in your organization is your people, your talent. So, you know, I, I, I kind of think about HR or HR if you're from New Zealand as, um, you know, it's been responsible for making sure that your people have a great experience from when they first find out about your organization through to um, 
working at your organization and then when they leave as well because they still continue to be an advocate hopefully um, for mm. your brand and for your organization even if they're still not continuing to work for you and you know tools like Glassdoor they um highlight the importance <laughs> of that don't they they <laughs> certainly do, do hey, Michelle when I first started in, in HR it wasn't called HR it was called personnel yeah. yes it was, the it personnel was actually department. do you know what it was when I too when yeah. I first got my first job David Jones was the personnel yeah. department. I was a Cosmeyer. Yeah. Um, so we've been rebranding and branding HR, but what's your take on on what it is? You know, human resources. Oh, look, in- HR can be so many different things to different people. And, mm. and as I was sort of saying um, earlier on, off mic, it, depending on your experience with HR will depend on your perception of it. Mm. Um, you know, I think these days people are trying to make it a little sexier and call it people and culture, you know, employee mm-hmm. experience and good old Richard Branson saying you treat your employees as you wish them to treat your customers. I think businesses are now really actually starting to understand the importance of treating your employees well if you want them to pass on that mm. to the customer. I think the way you just articulated it then, Jared, was really refreshing because I actually think in essence if every business had that, perspective of HR, it would be viewed so much more effectively than perhaps it probably has been in in the mm. past when it's been known to be the handbrake or don't go mm. to HR. It mm. was almost the anti-people, you know, department, um, which which breaks my heart with a, with a background in HR and being so passionate about bringing the best out of people. I think um, you, you bang on there, Michelle. I think a lot of HR teams, they operate with a command and compliance kind of approach oh, because yeah. so, yep. sometimes it's their industry, right? Like if you're in a, you know, if you're in a high risk industry, you know, the, the role of HR is more about safety than anything else, right? It's about, yeah. and, and that's not just about protecting the brand, like it's about protecting the people, right? But uh, I do think a lot of HR teams, they, you know, maybe they don't intentionally go this way, but maybe it's bred through the organization culture, but they tend to be about rules and enforcement rather than enablement and culture and value and, you know, making sure people are good. Like ultimately, like if you try to ask yourself this question, why does you know, why do we have people in our organisations? It's to help us to achieve our goals. So yes. why why should we have HR to help our people to achieve the organisational goals? Right. Like it I literally be, wrote that down. Should be like, as simple as that, shouldn't it? Yep. Hundred percent. Yep. And and make them feel safe. Be the best versions of themselves at work, and ultimately you'll get the best out of them. Like it's really, it's not that hard. Mm, mm. And I think so many businesses overcomplicate it. And I'm a big advocate for not actually having a whole heap of policies and procedures in place if you've got the right culture and the right people. Sure, they may be guidelines, but they should never really come into effect. If you have Mm. the right people, you don't need to look at them because everyone genuinely is there for the best reason, for the best of the company to achieve, you know, what the company wants to achieve. Did you hit the nail on the head there, Jared, in terms of, um, you know, because I think this is what stops that mindset a lot, Michelle, is this, this, um, deep root, uh, this heritage in um, control. So HR is a control mm. function. So that's kind of the default. It's like how do we stop people from, um, you know, doing bad things, mm. right? doing things we don't want them to do. It's it's a it's always been that's what's always, uh, you know, take. I guess it's sport the passion for me a lot over the mm. years is that we, um, especially in the HR systems space where where I've spent a lot of my time, we we spend invest so much time and effort on the 1% of people who are going to mm. break, who are going to do the wrong thing. Mm. Why? Yes. Why do we yeah. spend that same amount of money on the 99% of people who are essentially great humans yes. who will naturally abide by common sense and, and you know, the behavioural norms that society would play that, that should work within 
any organizational construct, right? Completely. And I think now there's becoming even a greater shift between the people that like those two types of people are really starting to become more mm. segregated. I mean, if you look at the old school HR, it probably stemmed from a lot of the industrial relations background mm. and the legal side of needing a contract mm. by law to satisfy requirements yep. so people had expectations around what they were required to do at work and what um, their employer was required to give them. You know, that's great to an extent because obviously we do need that and as a previous lawyer I, I get mm. the importance mm. of that. But it can, it's when that starts to, I guess, become a lot heavier and more focused than the actual human and behaviour element of work is where you lose the the magic for want of a better word. Yeah. yeah. yeah Ampl- was- amplify that, Michelle, and think about a workforce where you're 60 or 70% contingent workers. You know, suddenly, you know, you could imagine if you're in a HR team and you've got a workforce like that, you're saying, actually, my role's really different to someone that has got predominantly, you know, full-time contracted staff who the relationship they have there is quite a different relationship as an employer. Absolutely. You know, I think it's a complex, mm-hmm. like it's a really complex um Every organisation is quite different, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Mm. You know, we can't obviously assume that what you do on one will definitely work somewhere else. But certainly um, knowing the landscape of your people and the, the calibre of um, of your leaders, because I think what HR spend all their time doing is, is often driven by how well can some of those localised challenges be managed by their leadership teams. And if, and if the answer is not well, then, you know, the buck mm. goes to HR. They end yeah, up having absolutely. to get called in, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I sort of when I first went into HR, and I was in retail, and, and mm. you were as well, Michelle. Um, it was it always felt very adversarial. Like I couldn't get my head around a function that was about people mm. being about managing this Compliance. adversarial relationship. No, it was even more than that. It was kind of like these, there was this unions and enterprise bargaining agreements and all this IR, yes. ER stuff. Yes, and then it was kind of like. Oh, well, we should, I suppose while we're at it, we probably should look at things like careers and training and development, development stuff, but actually yeah. the main game. And actually, if you were to become an executive in the HR function at a place like Coles, but I'm sure all of the, in, this is, you know, early 90s, any of the big corporates, you had to be an IR person. Mm. But that was the very heart, the centre of HR or personnel management. Because of the type of workforce you had, right? You know, if you've got a lot of people on enterprise bargaining agreements, then that Mm. becomes a big part of the job, right? I guarantee Mm. half the roles I got from a, you know, HR director perspective Mm. was because I was a lawyer. And I had that background and that Mm. awareness of, of, I guess, the respect it needed to be shown. But at Mm. the same stage, I very much had the approach of not wanting to focus on that and, and shift it so you know mm. but mm. I even I got embarrassed sometimes and people used to say what do you do and I'm like oh, I really don't want to say I'm an HR director because yeah. they're not going to like me <laughs> um the police officer yeah well, well that was that was the perception in, in many organizations in many days and, and I worked so hard in every organization I was with to change the perception of mm. HR because mm. it really is as you said Jared it's all about the people, and we are there to facilitate and enable the people to deliver what their business wants to mm. achieve. I haven't done any research on this, but I'm just going to, I'm pondering this question in my mind right now. So I'm going to put it out there. What came first, unions or HR departments? Was, was an HR union. department a reaction to all, you know, workers getting <sighs> organised or was the, the union the, collect, you know, the collective of trying to, I, I, reckon, I reckon the um, I reckon the union 
is the extension of like, if you sort of think about when people used to almost like gangs, but not in a negative <laughs> connotation, but you know, the you know, no, no, this, no, this is no logically you think about it. People like clustering together. Like you think about back in the day when, you know, you might've got together with a group of people, you're all quite good at what you did and you'd move around and you'd work at different locations and you, like you might be really good at railway construction. So you'd go around and you'd work on this job, you know, you'd be in a railway gang and you'd be working, building the railway, then you'd move somewhere else and you'd move somewhere else. I reckon what logically happens is as that starts to grow and within certain sectors it's become quite normal anyways, I think you end up with these little cultures, these groups that form and of course they're naturally going to end up with a head or a spokesperson and that's probably just evolved into kind of a union over time Mm. like looking after their own and probably in the old days they had to work out their own accommodation and transport and food and they had to deal with all these problems of being a mobile workforce moving around trying to solve problems. And now it's maybe not quite as much. Maybe the employer deals with those issues. I was going to say, do you work, do you work for a union, Jared? That was very, that was very yeah. eloquently put and made me almost yeah. have a bit of empathy for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I almost, went, I almost went the wrong way, though, because I, I linked unions to gangs and it was exactly yeah. the opposite of what yeah. I was trying to say. <laughs> I, I yeah, don't know whether to play a bit of Billy Bragg now or, um, or yeah. go into something like the, I don't know, some, some of the um, uh, gangster rappers. I'm not sure which direction to go in, Jared. I reckon if you ask the question of which came first, the union or HR, the unions would say we are a result of bad. Oh, oh. Say, yeah, I reckon they would. Wow. I reckon they would say that we're a result of employers mistreating staff. There's, a, there's only a reason we need to. Exist. Yeah, there is. I mean, I think in a business or a, sorry, in a corporate sense, perhaps, but I guess um, without taking this down a political bent, um, obviously the yeah. labour movement's been <laughs> fundamental to. You know, post-industrial era, industrial era politics yeah, and society. So um, I think, you know, I suspect that the organisation of people to to defend their rights and to advocate for their rights is is something that's a uh, uh, it is fundamental to democratic societies, right? So you mm. know, that's um. Well, it's the same. You get you get lobbyists who they go out. And, you know, you get the big tobacco lobbyists, and they're just advocating on behalf of a group of companies, mm, you know, mm. I mean, unions advocating on behalf of a population of people. And, you know, it's probably no different. You know, you look at all the organizations that exist out there, it's kind of the mm. same kind of thing, isn't it? Yep. Non-for-profits, you know, advocating on behalf so of So without going on a personal bent with this entire episode, um, I will continue for just a moment. Um, <laughs> so it was called Personnel when I first started. The other thing, I went, I remember going to my first ever HR conference and I would have been... It was about 1996 and, and I was so, you know, pleased to have the opportunity to go to... Um, Do tell, what was it was like? I was like <laughs> a, a, one of the ARI conferences yes. back in, it was, was probably one of them called ARI in those days. It was the Australian Personnel Association or something right. like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I remember vividly the first session I went to and this passionate HR director up there saying, HR needs to get a seat at the strategic table. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. And what are we, 25 dare I say it longer, years down the track. Um, I still hear that at conference. I still hear this impassioned plea for HR to become more strategic. Um, wh- why are we still having that conversation? I mean, look, I'll, I'll kick off. I think yeah. different HR is viewed differently in different organisations, again, based on the experience of mm. um, senior leaders, whether they've worked with someone previously who has had a strategic mindset or able to um, look at HR with a from a strategic perspective and then others who purely see HR as executional. Mm. 
Yeah. So I think, and depending on the size of the organisation also will depend on whether they need a seat at the table and depending on the skill sets of the executives, mm. you'll get some mm. leaders that are naturally great people, um, great people people and great humans and will lead by example and almost will be doing the role of VHR director but then you'll get some leaders in an organisation who are not so people focused mm. and that's when you really need someone probably that is more people focused to balance out that yep. that cultural need. Yeah, it's a really good point. It probably starts to get us to... Yeah, the main topic here of why do we need HR, right? Jared? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I stewed this one over, eh, because I um, I, I keep coming back to sort of thinking about um, does HR have the right role in an organisation, I guess is the question I ask myself. And, you know, we always keep, you know, back, back to your point, Dave, about people harping on about saying we don't have a seat at the table. You know, look at the other people sitting around the table and what they yeah. are accountable for. They're all pretty, they're all pretty boring, money. geeky um, numbers people, aren't well, they? Well, no, but some, some, someone's in charge of the money. Someone's in charge of the products you're selling. Someone's in charge of the customer. You know, so you've got all these people that these pretty broad accountabilities. And then we go to HR and we say, you know, the people don't report to you. You don't get to make the hiring decisions. Um, you get to come up with some frameworks to help people be successful in their job. But if you actually, if you sit down, and look at what we're doing right now. We're doing a podcast. If you sit down and say, you know, what what do we need to be successful at running a podcast? It's more than just the three of us. You know, we need a location. We need microphones. We need software. We need bandwidth. An audience. We hundred things to make it work. We're working, we're working on that. That would be handy too. So why doesn't HR, why aren't they responsible for enabling people to do their jobs? Like why don't they have facilities? Why don't they have IT? Why don't they have all the infrastructure that's needed? For In some organizations they do. Like, that's what I think. Yeah. Well, that's what I think the modern HR function is. I think to get the seat at the table, they have to be the kind of the chief enablement officer. They have to be in charge of enabling people to do their job, and that that could be that could be a whole lot more than just learning and development and recruitment. You know, that's about saying if you're going to work from home, you know, how do we set that up to make that effective for you? How do you collaborate and communicate? You know, do we need to give you some tools to make it easier to remote work? And I think HR should have accountability for the whole lot. I think they should be. Everything an employee needs to, to smash their goals. I think yeah, it's be interesting HR. you say that, Jared. I was looking at the strategic plan for um, a client the other day and they had three very key metrics. And I said, oh, where's the people one? And they were like, oh. And I was like, you want to, you know, increase mm. this? You want to drive profitability? You want to grow this? And I'm like, where's the people element that's going to drive you and help you actually achieve all of this? And they were like, oh, great. Can you draft that and tell us what it should be? And I was like, wow. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, not at all. But it, but it was. But it, again, it showed <laughs> the type of leaders that they currently had in an organisation and where their focus was, which was bottom line, EBITDA, growth, you know, expansion. But the way they're going to achieve that is through having the right people in the right roles. Mm, um, yeah. And if people and you know, I look at measuring people performance probably differently to perhaps traditionally how people have in terms of turnover and. Um, because I think natural turnover is sometimes needed in organisations as they grow, particularly yeah, fast-growing right? organisations. People will outgrow mm. skill sets and you need to transition them. But if if I'm measuring, you know, key metrics such as, you know, once a month surveying employees on are they feeling safe in their role? Do they feel they're able to actually speak freely or are they in fear? Um, how likely are they to leave within the next month? You know, there's five or six criteria that I'm looking at measuring now that it's actually real and tangible. Mm. And the percentage and weight of that will then determine on whether the leadership team in the business is actually doing their job because yep. that's that's tangible that's how the people are feeling do they have clarity on how their roles conti- contributing to what the business is trying to achieve mm. you know do they have the tools they need to be able to do their job 
Um, that that's the. And can we then can we then link that information? So if people are feeling feeling threatened at the moment, are we also tanking in our sales because people are too afraid? to go out on a limb and sell or are we getting negative customer feedback at the moment when people are feeling really disillusioned in their job so like if we can actually link it to this i think this is the thing that those c-suite executives they care about you know the bottom line they care about their net promoter score maybe not enough probably perhaps they should care more about that (laughs) they care about churn you know customer churn they don't really usually care too much about employee churn unless it really hits some serious numbers so i think if we find their measures their metrics that they care about and we go hey we can show you how this thing over here is causing yep. your number to tank you know i think that that might get them to hear and listen mm. i really like that though michelle those i think those um measuring those things are really cool i mean it's it's early days and we're back, literally rolling really... it out from one november so i'll, I'll yeah. keep you posted on on the feedback but you're right it's actually then linking all of that to the actual productivity of certain teams delivering or meeting key key yeah. targets um it's funny in some organizations they're, even though the morale might be low, the sales still may be flying mm. when they've got a product that actually needs that. Yeah. So sometimes that's yeah. obviously the not best measure, which I've learned, which was very interesting to me. So it is, you're right, mm. it's finding that right mm. metric that's actually going to indicate where they could actually be even more powerful or more successful if that was aligning. Mm. Yeah. Because quite rightly, if you're a senior leader in that organisation, you you know, it would be defensible for you to be have perhaps have the attitude of 100%. so what? 100%. Selling, you know, we, marketers loving our share price. We are selling like it's going through the roof. And, you know, and, and you would turn around and you would, you know, in that scenario, you'd say, well, surely, you know, don't you care about your people? And I mean, maybe they don't, you know, mm. maybe that's the other it's, problem. It's, what, do, what do they value? Leaders that don't care. It's actually, yeah. what you're describing yeah. is actually really hard. Not It's hard from an effort perspective, but it's also... It's almost hard intellectually within organizations to think beyond just the mm. what it's very obvious to look at numbers and to make decisions about what's going what's required in the future whether that's to you know to, to tweak your workforce whether that's to um, uh, invest more in a certain product that you you that, that you're doing or to you know drive more marketing or whatever it might be it's, mm. it's actually a hell of a lot easier it's really interesting because we're going through um, our planning for 2020 in my organization at the moment. And just hearing you say that about the people piece, I, I'm, I felt myself go, oh, how much focus am I putting on that aspect in our planning? Because it's easy to get caught up in the numbers because what mm. typically you're asked to do is create a plan. And the plan is typically is almost entirely a financial plan, right? Correct. 100%. This is the number we're yep. going to chase. This is the mm. rationale behind it. Yep. This is the cost structure we believe we're going to need to drive a certain margin at the bottom of that. Um, fundamentally, in organization, most organizations, uh, people are the most expensive cost, mm. yet the conversation is about how many do we need and where and when rather than what are we going to get from that resource? Like how are we going to ensure that we, the people are able to deliver the value that we expect and that that, are, that will drive the financial outcomes that we're looking for as well. Yeah, I think it's really hard. It's like, I think very, it's very hard. obvious. It's obvious to discount it. It's taken a lot of work because, and it's something to be honest, I've always grappled with because people say, you know, it's one of the first things when you get into a HR director role. You know, put in your dashboard in place. You know, get our measurables mm. set up. And I, I, I always felt a massive um, incongruence with the typical. KPIs that were measured in, in HR departments. Yeah. And so to really try and look 
beyond that as to what it is important. There's not a lot of research out there. Um, and I've it's probably been something that I've put together and gone, okay, which organisations are doing really well and why? And what have they got that other organisations don't? And then how do you measure that? And so it's really just breaking down and understanding, you know, I mean, sometimes you guys are, are probably quite similar. You can walk into organisations, you're quite intuitive, you can see what's going on pretty quickly. And it's about mm. identifying the things that you can see are holding back and putting a number to that so the people that value numbers can listen to that and see that in their language. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And it's hard, isn't it, Michelle? Because if you think about, you know, the HR metrics that are reasonably easy to measure usually, are, you know, how many people do we have? Yeah. How long have they been with us? You know, um, how many do we lose each year? You know, that sort of stuff is... Mm -hmm. General, not everyone can find that data. FTE conversations yeah. are always classic around HRDs. They always go, do yeah. we really know how many FTEs we have? Anyway, uh, but I think that other intangible stuff around um, what's it like to work here? Do I trust and respect my peers or my boss? And, you know, am I afraid? Those sorts of questions, I think, you know, A, they're harder to measure. B, you're asking people to volunteer information yes. that's a little more confronting. And, um, but even, but C, you know, what do people do with it when they get it? You know, do they have a plan to address those problems and can they take action? Uh, that would be, I'm really interested to hear down the line, once you've started rolling this out, mm -hmm. I'd love to hear how people are dealing with the feedback. You know, what do you do if a third of your workforce say they feel threatened mm -hmm. by their boss? Like what does the leaders in that organization well, funny, do I'm, about it? It's interesting. I'm actually sort of partway through a similar exercise with another organization and literally sat down with two of the senior leaders and said, look, in my first six months in your business, this is what I've seen. Um, the conversations that are taking place are not honest. They're mm. not aligned to your values. Um, yeah. you, you know, the behaviours respectfully I'm seeing from you guys aren't enabling what you want them mm. to say. You think people are being honest with you, but unfortunately they're not. And I guess that's sometimes the value of having someone external come in and being able to give them that feedback. It's not biased. It's not emotional. It's objective. It's what you've said and it's what they pay me mm. for essentially yep. is to, to see that. Um, so that's but you get so caught up in your day-to-day -day getting things mm. done sometimes, people aren't aware of how the way they're behaving is impacting those around them. Yep. That having the external perspective is an important point about why we need HR and also mm. why HR mm. needs to be able to be… Objective. Objective. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So as soon as it becomes you know, Stockholm syndrome, like it's master. So if it becomes too focused on finance or, or on the labor relations piece, or even on the employees themselves, like yeah. if, if it is just an advocacy function for HR, uh, sorry, for people. Or they're an executor of the CEO's direction. Yeah. yeah. Make this happen, make this happen. Mm. It's like, well, if you want someone to do that, I'm probably not that person mm. because I mm. have a brain and an opinion yep. <laughs> and yep. a perspective. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. I think HR, we're answering the question. I quite like how we show how this is sort of coming out because I wasn't necessarily thinking this is how it would. But to me, what I'm hearing is we need HR to save the organization from itself and to ensure that there is a, a focus on people in every aspect of what we do. We're asking the questions that sometimes are, are not obvious not or even they are always, overlooked. Yes. The, no, I wouldn't say always save the organization from itself because there are some organizations mm. that don't have HR and they mm. don't need HR mm. because their leadership is mm. exceptional. Yeah. And they lead by example. Their leaders have got the right behaviours. They've created a culture which doesn't require HR. They're the organisations we should be looking to. Yeah. 
Good point. I believe to show HR, mm. you know, in my opinion, HR should, is almost a role that should be redundant. Yeah, I everyone that. that sits at a leadership table should be responsible for the HR agenda. Every senior leader should have a portion of their role that yep. delivers that accountability. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have um, a note here that says um, we only need HR because managers are crap at doing the job of managing people. Yeah. <gasps> Do you need another coffee? <laughs> Yeah. And we should never record these on Monday mornings. We should do these on Happy Friday afternoons. I'm just loving years. the language. Crap, save. <laughs> but it, it, if you um, but if you if that's if if we're saying that the role of HR is only about leading people, then yeah, I agree. It's a redundant function entirely. But if what we're saying is that HR is there to give everybody they need, to give them the food they need, the nourishment they need to be successful, I think it's about mm. more than just behaviors and leadership and like I reckon there's mm. so much built up into I think we are complex animals, animals complex. us humans mm. and I think um <laughs> no I know so I think um I, I I think you know you could end yep. up with two ends of the spectrum you could have the organization that has no HR function and they've got high caliber leaders but they're still going to need to have some they're still going to need an IT team and a you know, someone to find them an office and you know, facilities and procurement and they're still going to need those functions. Or you have an organisation that has actually you know mashed that stuff together and said we're just going to do what's needed to give our people what they need to do their job really well. And then maybe it's not even. I always HR. think I don't even know I've what it's always that thought is. it should be around yeah. the employee experience. Mm. You I know, agree with you. Um, no one person yeah. should own yeah, the people and cultural role. I don't think that's right because mm. not one person is responsible for managing that. But I think if yeah. the person that's going to be in charge of what typically has been known as HR, I think should be the employee experience and look at with the big, just as we look at the customer experience yep. journey, needs to be the employee experience. 100%, yeah. Yep. Bang well, on, that's all we need to hear. No. <laughs> Tick, I'm yeah. excused. I'm going to stop being contrarian now and actually <laughs> fall in line with you guys because I, I, no, I, I 100% agree that we've got to help HR if it is still mired in the transactional, um, yep. in the command and control and the control piece we've got to help get rid of that and I, I know my passion for the intersection of, of hr and technology is really pushing you know trying to push stuff away from hr people give the tools to managers to manage the day-to-day pieces themselves yeah yeah and the employees themselves so that we in hr f- can focus on the environment that we're creating physical environment you know the the, the cultural environment as well because uh, that's what drives experience and that's what that, I guess that's what brings the secret sauce to organisations from a people standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. It's well, interesting, Jared. You're. Um, it's interesting because you're working for a for obviously a, a HR technology company, <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. if you just lost you, we just lost your vision there uh, for a moment. Um, no, you've, no, lo- you've locked your phone, phone off coming in, Dave, uh, phone I'm still here. Coming in on it, so we've lost you. The viewers, at, uh, the listeners, um, we're sorry about that. that. That was just a little technical issue. But anyway, Jared, you you um, are at the intersection of HR and technology and, and I guess you're also an organisation that itself mm-hmm. is, you know, I guess is, is dealing with, with um, change and with disrupting people from their, their normal modes. What's, what's your observations around that? Look, I think um, when you're in an organisation that's got rockets on and – you know, um, so I've joined, you know, Elmo Software and, you know, Elmo's got rockets on. It's hiring through the roof like I can't believe, you know, kind of growing 40, 50% year on year in terms of staff. You know, um, what you end up with, and I think, Michelle, you hit the nail on the head before, is you end up with some people who their jobs change over time and, um, 
you know, you need to rethink whether they're in the right role or not. So there tends to be a lot of transition and movement that needs to be done. There's a lot of reforming of the teams and reforming of the lines and mm. um, moving of people around. And then there's a huge influx of just new people into the business, you know, like every day influx of new people. So I think um, a really, you know, a really critical role for a, a people and culture, a HR, whatever you want to call it, that function within an organization that's in hyper growth mode is actually to make sure that those leaders that are desperately trying to hit big targets, grow massive teams, you know, recruit fine talent, that they just, they can do that with fluidity or they can do that easily. You know, I think, um, you know, you, you have so many competing priorities. You need to be able to lean on someone to help you to um, quickly get out there and find someone or you need to lean on someone to help you with a problem that you're facing in your team. And as much as in a normal context where you're not going through that hyper growth, you might be capable of managing that yourself. I think just when you're going through that level of change, people are so heavily yep. disrupted. Okay. They need the help. They need someone to, like I, I refer to it as soundboarding. Like I like to be able to pick up the phone. This is what I do with, with my HR team is I pick up the phone and say, hey, here's my latest mm. interesting challenge I've got to deal with and let's just talk yep. it through. And we just bash it around coaching. And, and try to work out how to deal with it. So, and mm. I mean, I reckon it's a little it is bit, coaching. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I, I, I don't um, think people in organizations value coaching. No, I like agree. They, value, they yeah. kind of go, well, yeah. it's, it's fad-like at times, like I've got my coach. Mm. But actually to see the legitimacy of a, of a function in an organization that is inherently there to coach. Yeah, look at all our sporting teams and how much Hello. their coaches get paid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How do, you, how do they become high-performance organizations? Correct. You know, it's because coaching is fundamental mm. and it's – it's almost the ultimately most respected role in the organisation. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. But you're right, it's been very much taboo. Oh, you've got a coach. Yeah. Oh, you're not good at your job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, guys, really. Yeah, you know? mm. but I think good HR people and good HR departments or functions um, in inherently coach. They don't – they try not to be as transactional. Or facilitate. I, I, yeah, I think facilitate's a great one because mm. a lot of the time people know the answers. Like you said, Jared, it's about being a sample for someone to bounce mm. ideas off. They know the answers. They just want to know if they're on the right track or is there something they've mm. completely forgotten about that they need to take into consideration. But, you know, we're all pretty whole humans. You know, we mm. all know what mm. we know. We just sometimes need that reassurance or that certainty that, yep, you've got this, go make it happen. Yeah. And you also need to be careful of, um, you know, in larger organisations, you want to be careful that you don't set precedents in one yeah, part certainly. of the business that then yep. has to be, you know, considered somewhere else. So I think part of the other role of HR is also yeah, to, to look across all of the teams and to look for the linkages and, yeah, and, and also for localization as well to say, well, maybe it is appropriate, you know, what you're suggesting to do because of whatever the circumstances are in that business unit. And so I think it's also about understanding what's unique and different but looking for, you know, what needs to be yeah. common and standardised. Yeah, you made a comment earlier, Jared, right? that I think um, is important here about enablement. You, I think you were, you were suggesting that we should call it um, the people enablement mm. department. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what it. name to give it, but, yeah, I think, I think, yeah. I think enablement <laughs> well, I feel like where, where we've got to with this conversation is, you know, if we, if we say it's HR at its best is there to enable um, other roles, be they leaders, managers, or, you know, even technical employees mm. being able to do their jobs better um, is really, it is about, it is enabling, but it's to me, and I'm going to throw this word in there as well, um, empowerment. Like I think good HR and good coaches, co coaches don't do it. Like, you know, watch the GWS Giants on the weekend mm. um, who, who had a, f a fabulous victory over Collingwood getting into the grand final. 
Uh, coaches had nothing to do with that, probably from the 15-minute mark of the last quarter. There was no tactical move you could make that would make a difference. Everything mm -hmm. was about the players at that point in time performing their roles. Um, and, you know, there was an, there's an element of the culture coming together and, and doing it for each other. Uh, but there's also the skills execution at that point. You look at the, the, the TV always pans the co to coaches' boxes and they're there kind of tearing their hair out. You can just see there's nothing I can do. You know, this result mm. is in the lap of the gods now. And I think that that's, mm. to me, um, ena if you enable your staff, actually you're doing it for them. So if I think about um, poor HR functions that I see, they're the ones with big shared services and big, um, they have HR business partners who don't partner. They just do the transactions. Dictate. Yeah. Mm. And they, well, they actually fill the forms out for everyone. So, you, you know, you don't have to. Whereas mm. if you yeah. empower, if you actually create an environment where you're giving the advice and you're helping that individual to perform better, that's empowering, not just enabling. I don't know whether I'm getting a bit too cute with words and the like, but um, that's kind of, I feel like we've got to do better than just enable. I think the empowerment, again, comes down to the whole leadership of the business or team. Mm. Um, you know, again, many businesses I've seen, there's pockets where teams feel empowered and there's pockets where other teams don't feel empowered and usually it comes mm. down to their relationship with their leaders. Yeah. Um, and sometimes mm. HR's role then is coaching or facilitating conversations with that leader mm. to help them become aware of, again, you know, you can be in an organisation, there's a there's a partnership at the moment um, where we've got, say, eight partners, very, very different styles. I mm. mean, partners are very rare sort of organisation these mm. days, mm. but there's lots of chiefs and there's no Indian. There's eight partners, very eight different styles of leadership. Yep. Um, eight different opportunities for people to get what they want potentially. If they don't get it from one partner, they can go to another partner. Um but HR's stuck in the middle trying mm. to facilitate that and trying to get anything from these guys and anything done or a decision made is is really mm. challenging. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's hard though when you've got a partnership model because those organisations, like if it's, you know, yes. if you're talking law firm, accounting <laughs> firm or architecture firm, you know, you're talking about someone that had to put their 100%. house on the table to get cut in, right? So, you know. And yeah. it's a dog-eat-dog -dog ladder to get to the top in some regards. So, you know, the, the type of leader in that organisation, yeah, they've had to they've had to really earn that spot, I guess, you know, more so than maybe some others have had to. And um, mm. maybe they feel like they know best. I don't know. I'm not, I've, I've not been a leader in that organisation, but um, mm. but maybe that in particular, uh, Michelle, is that yes. type of environment is maybe more challenging than perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's been very interesting because it's, you know? it's a different, um, mm. similar to my background, but different different structure yeah you know. absolutely mm. well i'm did we uh, nail it i'm not the sure we answered the question but i think we're getting there like i feel like through the conversation um we are moving hr to a better place you know in terms of you know it, it, yeah, not just being that uh you know brick bat to the unions <laughs> and i think it's probably important i mean we all have a pretty refreshing i think perspective on what hr should be but for, even for some you know younger employees yeah. coming up through starting off their career, it, whether it may be in HR or it may be in another field, what to expect from HR. Mm, um, mm. You know, I think 
I look at it sometimes and I think, okay, well, you know, we could have a conversation about what's the purpose of HR for senior leaders in organisation and then what's also the purpose of HR for those starting off their careers because there's a myriad of, of different responsibilities that really we all share. Mm. Um, for those kicking off their career, I'd say don't ever be afraid of HR. Just always be honest with them and ask them. Um, use them as a, a, a resource to really facilitate your growth. Um if you need something, you know, don't hesitate to go have conversations with them. Don't sometimes listen to even the stigma about mm. them within an organisation. Make your own opinion. Yep. Um, and likewise for the senior leaders of an organisation, really you guys have the ability to shape what you want HR to be. Yep. I, I think really wise words and, you know. and probably um, an awesome note for us to to wrap up. We've just hit uh, hit the 40-minute mark. Um, any parting words from you, Jared, before we, uh, we, we pull the outro music out? Yep. I reckon uh... – if you're a CEO, my 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 advice to you, which you're probably not listening, if you are, but my advice to you is um, be audacious and you know give your HR team some teeth. And what I mean by that is give them a real piece of the pie to manage in your business. Give them more than just you know what we call the people. Give them something grunty to sink their teeth into, and I think they'll really succeed at it. Awesome. I and, think and if you're an HRD listening, go tell your CEO. that's awesome well on that very human note um, we have been the humans of HR and uh, it's been a pleasure to um, have that conversation about uh, the existential existential nature of HR itself Um, and uh, we look forward to uh, catching up again very soon thank you Jared thank you Michelle thanks Jared till next time guys look out look out for us Uh, make sure you subscribe and uh, hit us up with any questions uh, you might want us or topics for the future we'll see you again real soon